This is DJ Thomas, and you're listening to Frequency Interrupted. What's up, podcast? Today, I'm. this is my first uh, remote live feed. So I'm at a convention in South Texas down here in Horseshoe Bay, Texas, and I met a really interesting individual while we were hanging out having drinks a few nights ago, and we're still here hanging out. I have Cole Dempsey with me today. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, how you doing? Man, I'm good. So um, we got to uh, conversating the other night. Uh, I had a couple drinks. We were talking about life, and uh, Cole's in the film now, and you know, I'm in marketing that, that meshes well a lot. And, um, but Cole, how did, before you got into the film industry, what did you do before that? How did you get started? Well, I first wanted to, I first knew I was gonna be a filmmaker uh, when I was five. Okay, um, what, what made you know that? My, uh, my mom came in, I was playing with some toys and I was real big into Star Wars. Okay. And my mom saw a uh, documentary on how they made uh, Star Wars, so all the miniatures and the puppetry and stuff, and and that was almost ex- as exciting, if not more exciting, than the actual movie. Okay, I was like, I, that's what I want to do. Okay, and um, you know, I grew up outside of Abilene, Texas. Not a lot of filmmakers come from Abilene, Texas, and so I, and you know, that was back in the day where you you choose a career, you stick with it. Mm-hmm. 30, 40 years, and then you retire. Okay, so what year? What year were you five years old? Yeah, uh, 82. Okay. 82, yeah. Um, and got uh, got married, had kids. I, uh, before we go there, before we go there, high school, how were you like in high school? <laughs> uh, I, was a, I was a nerd. Okay. I uh, was just nerd. I was... Uh, nerd like nerd like you liked... Um, Certain card games or nerd like you were oh, super book, no, no, no. book nerd, super book okay. nerd. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I uh, so when I was uh, when I was real little, I I uh, got diagnosed with ADD, and got put on Ritalin, okay. and it fried my nervous system. And so I I didn't I couldn't watch TV for like three years, really, as a kid. And so I just got into books. You know, I read a lot of classic literature. Um, I. I read everything we had, I even encyclopedias. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's you know that doesn't scream coolness <laughs> when you read encyclopedias. Well, what was your drive kid. to read encyclopedias? Were you just wanting to uh, educate yourself more on certain things, or was uh, it just? I, I I I still the kind of person I have to learn. Okay. I have to consume yeah. knowledge, and and I still do. I, I even as an adult, I. I sometimes will stay up till one, two o'clock, three o'clock, just just researching something that's interesting to me. Right. Um, whether it be uh, film or you know, just, just pretty much anything, whatever I see that's uh, interesting, fun, yeah, nerdy. You know, you know, just just a big nerd. It's funny you say that because, like, back then you you would have to research by looking through books and encyclopedias. And um, people would test knowledge based on what you know off of what you read. Right. But now we can get knowledge at scale with a phone. Right. So things you worked so hard to learn, you can now find out in 30 seconds. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like Google. Yeah. 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 And there's a lot of crap online yeah but uh, and, and I would just as soon sit down with an actual book 
There's, there's something nostalgic about that that's, that's right. you know, people, people enjoy. I get it. I don't read. I listen. But, you know, I feel like I read so many emails and look at so much content on a daily basis that I just, right. by the time my day's over, I don't want to read anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I consume via audio, but I, still right. information's information. I do a lot of audio books because yeah. I don't have a lot of time to just sit down right. and read. And, you know, growing up, I had a little bit of a reading disorder. You know, okay. a little dyslexic. And, yeah. And so reading took me longer than a lot of people, which is funny that I, you know, write screenplays and, and stuff. But um, I, I hate editing. I, I hate going back reading what I wrote. Yeah. Like once, once you know, I'll, I'll change it, I'll edit it and, and stuff. But once I'm done, I'm like, I'm done. I, you know, I don't want to go back. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's writing. You, you, <laughs> writing is about the rewrites. Right. I guess. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So reading can be fun you know there's a lot of great literature out there and I, I love classic literature I love J.R.R. Tolkien I love uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs is one of my favorite okay. authors you know he was a science prophet um, you know I, I love all that stuff you know Watership Down was one of my favorite books as a kid okay. I mean, reading about you know Socialist, communist rabbits. I mean, what's what's not to, what's not to <laughs> That's love? That's different. You know, yeah. Well, so from there, we're talking about. Uh, so we talked about you know getting into high school. You're a nerd and stuff like that. Yeah. As you get older into your adult life, what was the transition there? Well, um, I, I was also in high school. I was also you know a musical nerd. So okay. I, I did you know played trumpet and and uh, and so when I came out of high school, I went into the navy. And um, oh, so you're you a veteran. Yeah. Okay. You know. well, let's talk about that a little bit. How'd yeah. That so I uh, was hanging out with a friend of mine uh, in high school. Uh, he was from Midland, Texas, and we used to sing in a choir together. Okay. And um, he was looking at my keychain. I had a Navy keychain, which I had no desire to go in the military at all. And he's like, "Yeah, I could see you as a Navy SEAL." And I'm like, "You know, that sounds actually pretty cool." And so that's what I thought I wanted to do. I wanted, thought I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, and I, I got into boot camp. And they're like, "Well, uh, don't get married." <laughs> and that was one of the things I wanted. I, want, I did want a family, okay. you know. And so that kind of deterred my, my, uh, my career into Navy SEALdom. But uh, I uh, wound up getting stationed with the. I was hospital corpsman. Which uh, the Marine Corps do not have their own medical field. Okay. And so that's one reason why they're a department of the Navy. Of course, they say they're in the men's department. But <laughs> um, and so, and, and being, being a hospital corpsman in the Navy is really, really cool. I mean, when uh, I went with the Marines over in Okinawa, I got to. I got to run sick call. Yeah, you know, I got to treat patients. I was like a physician's assistant. Okay. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old. That's crazy. And uh, doing minor surgeries and doing all kinds of fun stuff, running around in the jungle in Okinawa. Um, but uh, it as 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 much fun as some of it was. You know, I'm I, I didn't like a lot of the structure to the military. So gotcha. Um, I went about my my business later um after uh four years yeah not to get into all that but i all my buddies stayed in okay and i got a lot of love and respect for yeah. uh my marines and sailors that, that stayed on and 
and stuff and uh, it just I wasn't your thing. Not, You're just well, like, yeah, yeah I, I was a partier too. I right. got into some trouble okay. and stuff. Yeah, I get and it. So you know that that was uh, that was not the fun part of about it. But um, there was a lot of cool stuff that we did. In Okinawa, we got to uh, do a lot of. Uh, I mean, you're you're surrounded by some of the most beautiful ocean water in the world. It's the third best place to scuba dive in the world. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, so we we would go swimming off to some islands, you know, rock climbing, cave diving, all kinds of fun stuff. So that, that was a lot of fun. But uh, then after that, I just, uh, I went into construction, started holding, you know, just any job that I could get, just nothing really What year was satisfied. this? This was uh, 2000. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so... I tried construction, I went into mortgage, uh, bankruptcy, back to construction, and uh, went through divorce about, you know, several years ago, about five, six years ago, and I found myself, you know, taking care of my kids. Mm-hmm. How uh, many kids do you have? I got three, three kids, kids. Okay. yep. Yeah. Uh, all girls. Uh, I'm a girl daddy, I just couldn't put the stem on the apple, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, I I, uh, I I wasn't one of those dads that felt like he had to have a son. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. Perfectly happy with my girls. You know, I, you know, trained them and uh, raised them to be strong, mm-hmm. independent uh, young women. Yeah. And, um, but I was kind of left figuring out what what did I want to do. And so I started acting about okay. five six years ago, and. I, I knew I was going to love it, um, but being in Dallas, Texas, you know, I, and, and I wasn't going to leave my kids. I wasn't going to leave my kids to go to Hollywood or pursue a dream. So I figured out how can I make my dream happen here Okay, yeah. in Dallas. But I thought, well, maybe I can write some short films for myself and do a demo reel. And then I realized I really loved writing screenplays. I loved it. And... Then I said, why don't I just do film school? Yeah. And then learn how to make films. You know, and what's that my process? So what's that process? Do you, are you working a full-time job while you're still in film school? Or how does yes. that all work? Okay, well, gotcha. yeah. Well, so I met a wonderful woman who's uh, very artistic, um, who, who understood my need as a creative person to pursue my dream. Okay. And she decided to pursue her dream of, of graphic design. And so we we did get married about a year ago. Um, she's I'm finished with college now. Okay. I went I did uh, digital cinematography with Full Sail University and she's uh, getting her uh, working on her associates um, at a local college in Dallas. And but we found that her graphic design career meshes really well with film. Of course, yes. Um, and she's a bigger nerd than I am, <laughs> which I think is really sexy. Okay. <laughs> hey, wrong Nerdy with that. women are sexy. <laughs> okay. okay? Um, and so we, my last couple films that I did, film projects uh, for school, uh, she helped me out on, and she's my art director. 
Nice. And, you know, she she's able to get my vision mm-hmm. and help me stay on task because I'm usually all over the place. Yeah. And, you know, I, I did my degree uh, in film online, which sounds kind of weird, but... You know, with full sale, you we get a we get a 4K camera, we get a MacBook Pro, we get some lighting, we get um, recording, you know, uh, equipment, and you know, you're you're everything. You're the you're the producer, the director, the gaffer, the grip, right. the, you know, the cameraman. Right. And, and but that's I the best way to learn the industry, right? Right. Well, yeah, right. I mean, yeah. And and then now to go from that to like these giant budget productions, you can't. Yeah, you can't be one, one man show. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. you can't. But um, learning the art of the entire, how the process works. Right. And then when you scale it, you know, everything changes. That's in well, anything. Right. It's, it's like, a you know, a captain of a ship has to know the nuts and bolts exactly. of that ship better than anyone else. Exactly. And and so in one of my biggest heroes in film is Akira Kurosawa, who's a Japanese filmmaker who's probably one of the most copied filmmakers of all time. You know, George Lucas copied some of his, his stories, uh, like with Star Wars, uh, was inspired from uh, Hidden Fortress. Uh, uh, is this something that's known? Like, people know this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and George Lucas is very open. Right. That he was inspired by uh, Akira Kurosawa. Gotcha. You know, uh, Seven Samurais is probably one of his most popular films. That is, you know, uh, Magnificent Seven uh, was kind of taken from that idea, almost stolen, okay. ripped off uh, blatantly. Um, Bugs Life, uh, uh, Galaxy Quest, okay. you know, those are all taken from uh, Seven Samurai. Gotcha. Uh, but and George Lucas, when he was doing Star Wars, uh, which was the only studio production that he did, I, I mean, George Lucas was actually an independent filmmaker. Okay. And he hates studios. He does not like Hollywood. But to get his his magnum opus of Star Wars started, he he knew he needed some some help. But. The character of Obi-Wan, he actually went to uh, one of Akira Kurosawa's main uh, actors. I, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name because I got a microphone gotcha. right here. <laughs> um, and asked him to play uh, the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And, you know, he is used to samurai movies with Akira Kurosawa, and he's like, mm, no. And then after Star Wars blew up, he, he came back and said he regretted it. <laughs> he regretted not doing it role. Of course. But, you know, but I can't imagine anyone but uh, Sir Alex Guinness playing that role. Okay. You know. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like uh, Captain America, one of the uh, uh, people that was originally looked at for that role was John Krasinski. Really? That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was... I listened to him in an interview where he said that uh, he was he was actually trying on the Captain America outfit. And, yeah. You know, he's, you know, from the office, he's not that, I mean, doesn't have an right. incredible physique, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, and he was working on it, you know, for 13 hours, uh, which is a great film. But he said Chris Hemsworth walked by 
with his shirt off. <laughs> and he was like, God, this is stupid. He just like it. took it. He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he just took it off. But, you know, you can't imagine anyone else but, you know, uh, Chris, Chris Evans. Uh, Evans yeah, we'll see. Playing the role. I don't know anything about Star Wars, but I guess we're going to get on the Marvel tangent now because I know I, I am a Marvel nerd. Right. Um, and when you when people talk about film and all that, I don't know all the screenwriters or screenplays or directors. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, anything about that as kind of stuff. As long as you enjoy the film. Right. Yeah. And that, I think that's something, you know, um, there's something to be talked to about, you know, talk about there is because you know all the nuts and bolts of film. I'm just on the other side as a consumer, you know, watching uh, I, the film. And I think right. that, um, you know, people listening to this podcast are going to be interested to know, you know, get feedback. There's a lot of people that are getting into film, you know, or maybe are thinking about it that are right. working in a job they didn't like, you know. So it's cool to be able to give information out to people that, you know, they may need well, to hear. Right. And, you know, one thing, and I and I do talk about Akira Kurosawa a lot because he is one of the most phenomenal filmmakers ever. Um, I mean, he... He received awards on every continent for his films. That's um, crazy. He, he, at 83, I believe, 82 or 83, he won an Oscar. And it was presented to him by Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, both who have been inspired by his films. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's been doing films for 60 years. Yeah. And he said at 83, doing films for 60 years, like, I, I don't know if I deserve this because... I don't feel I know enough about film. And that's just him. Even right. though he knew that his his work inspired all these major productions. Yeah, but he's humble about it. Right. And, and, you know, as you get to a point in life where you realize the more you learn, the less you realize you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And so, you know, I... I, I think uh, it's because you get a hunger to learn more. Absolutely. That's what happened to me. Like, I didn't really think that I, you know, in anything in the industry I'm now, I didn't think I'd be so passionate about something. And you start getting into it, and you're like, you may feel, you do know more than most people in the room, but you still don't know enough. You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. And that's and that's where I've always been. I've had this hunger to just learn. And artists, like, there is, every artist is inspired by another artist. Like, every artist. Makes sense. You know, um... There's a, a, a lighting style in filmmaking called Rembrandt lighting, which, you know, you have your key light coming at a certain angle, and it uh, creates this little triangle on the opposite cheek. Hmm. That's called Rembrandt lighting. Well, he, his, and if you look at all his paintings, he has that in a lot of his paintings, his, his portraits. But he was inspired by another filmmaker who did all of his lights, like every... All the lighting in his paintings was coming from a light source in the painting, hmm, like okay. a fire or right. a lamp or what. I mean, he did like practical lighting inside his painting, which inspired Rembrandt, which Rembrandt has inspired you know artists everywhere. But you know, he's got his own lighting style in filmmaking. So everyone is inspired. All artists are inspired from someone else, and so and that's and that's okay. You know, and what a lot of artists do is, you know, they'll get real passionate mm-hmm. about um, a certain style of art, and they will learn everything that they can learn about that. And then, when they get bored with that, they go off and they learn who inspired that girl, that yeah. person. Yeah. You know, Akira Kurosawa had people who inspired him, and so as a filmmaker, you know. George Lucas inspired me to be a filmmaker and Steven Spielberg. You know, they're two of my, my, my biggest inspirations for filmmaking. 
their inspiration was Kira Kurosawa. So I started researching it. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and was that opens up a whole other window. Whole, yeah. yeah, and then he had inspiration. Of course, yeah. And so there's this never-ending supply of knowledge and information that I can incorporate into my filmmaking. I'm yeah. just starting. I, right. I, I, I don't know, you know, much of anything. I'm just starting off and. And um, I haven't really worked on any giant budget yeah. uh, production or okay. anything. But well, everyone day, starts there. Day, yeah. everyone, everyone starts, starts there. there. Yeah. Uh, the guy who uh, I forget forget his name. The guy who did Shazam. Okay. He uh, he, I believe he's from Sweden, and he was doing short films, short horror films. Okay. And then he uh, did a short film called Lights Out, and his wife starred in it. It was pretty freaky. I sh- you know I showed my wife who you know screamed at one part and it was pretty it was pretty great and he found a production company in America that gave him fifty million dollars for that film for that film That's to do a full length feature so Lights Out you know became a full length feature yeah and he said I was used to doing everything if I wanted to move a camera all I did is pick up the camera and move the camera yeah he said when you're working on these big budgets you know. You have all this um, unions, mm-hmm. and you can't. Yeah, you have to let someone else move in. It takes forty-five minutes. Well, not only Please. that, but people don't appreciate. I think the you know what all goes into filmmaking when it, when you're talking about a skill size production right. because like I did a, a small feature, you know, I mean a small fight scene in a film uh, a few years ago, mm-hmm. and we shot that scene over and over and over because there was so much going on in that one scene. Right. Not just the fighting, there were the people talking in the background, Absolutely. exchanging drugs in this biker right. gang bar and all this stuff, and it took 15 hours to get that shot, so we had to reproduce the fight scene for over. 15 yeah. straight hours. Yeah. And, um, all for a two-minute scene in a movie. Right. So it only, like, that made me appreciate filmmaking doing that right there because I didn't un- understand, and most people don't get it, that that much time goes into one little part. Yeah, my first uh, film that I did for film school was a 60-second short film, no dialogue. Mm-hmm. We couldn't have any dialogue in it. And it was uh, about a... Uh, my film was about uh, a man comes home his wife is just watching him and he's just kind of you know like a little suspicious Mm -hmm. and she just has this sarcastic look on her face and he goes to get coffee the coffee machine doesn't turn on and he realizes she cut the cord and then she walks up to the calendar points at the calendar he realized he missed their anniversary Ah. And so that was my that was my first short film, sixty seconds long. Took six hours, right, to film for one minute for for one minute. <laughs> and I and of course that was my first. I had no idea what I was doing. I you know other than you know what little we had learned up until that point. But there's so much time that goes into every shot. That's why everything you know fifty percent of filmmaking is on the front end. Yeah. The planning. Right. The planning, the planning, the planning. You know. Um, and you have some directors that hate, like, uh, storyboarding and, and stuff. Me, I like to visualize everything on the front end. Because when you're a one-man show for the for a, a one-man filmmaker team, um, 
and you're trying to run around and, and tell this story, yeah. it's it's easy to forget stuff. It's, it's I easy mean, I, to, yeah, uh, of course. If you're not documenting or laying it out, then yeah. Right. And then you never realize how quick the sun goes down yep. until you're having to film all day. Yep. Um, and, you know, and there is no studios for the uh, entry-level filmmakers. <laughs> and so you, you've got to learn to work yeah. with every, everything Well, I mean, it just gives you. you the creative, like, you have to be creative. And, um, like, right now it's so funny because, you know, a lot of people, like, so let me ask you this. I know that a lot of, so we do a lot of, like, social media marketing and, yeah. you know, and we put a lot of time in developing content, but at the same time there's a lot to say about good raw content. Like, you know, off the cuff, yeah. shooting things that are extremely creative, but not having to put, you know, so much time into little details that pe you may think this is important, but people that are viewing it really don't care. So where do you right. cross up with all that when you get into stuff like that? Well, you know, they say the devil's in the details. Yeah. Right. And, you know, in filmmaking, we, we usually have a shot list. Yeah. That's all pre-planned out. Okay. You know, the lighting style, you know, we'll, like, I'll, I, I like to set up where I'm going to have my lights and, and everything, a shot diagram and um, maybe not a storyboard, but uh, at least a shot diagram. So where I know where my lights are, where everything else is, my camera, my, my microphone, everything. And so I have a shot list to tell the story, but I like to do the little pickup shots. We call those pickup shots. Okay. Where we see something where we're in the middle of filmmaking, we're like, oh, man, that'd be a really good shot. Can yeah. you do that again? Yeah. You know, and we'll focus in on, on that. And it's... And when you get a shot of someone's hand on a cup and it's not doing anything... Yeah. There's, there's no point to that. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. You know, so if it helps tell a story, a little split-second shot can really help make the difference that makes of sense. driving a, yeah. uh, a point home in a story or not. And in, in you learn that over experience. You know, uh, half the you know filmmaking industry says you don't need film school. The other half says film school is great. For me, I needed the structure yeah. to learn, and, I, and it was good for me to do film school. Um, I, Just because you knew what you needed, I, but exactly. that comes from experience of living in the world and being, you know, right, and doing things like being grown. But so what? Let me ask you this: So you think? Do you think? Because we talked about this the other day when I first met you, you've already been through things and realized this is what you really want to do. You've always right. known what you. This is really what you wanted to right. do, but you didn't take the, you know, Step. jump until now. Right. So you being that you've. You told me all the jobs you've done. Mm -hmm. You've had that customer service experience. Right. Yep. You've also been in the military. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, just these things weren't your strong suit. You didn't really like, love them, you know? Right. And so do you think there's things that you learned in those industries you can incorporate now that's going to help you? Everything I did, it's like everything I did pointed to what I'm doing now. Right. And... And filmmaking isn't my day job right now. So, uh, I but you're do doing but photography, you're... and I do commercials for um, the uh, transit uh, system in the Dallas area. But that's directly related to what right. you're doing now. So exactly. at least you're staring, you're easing into what you love. Exactly. This so was my first step into that industry. And see, right now so, yes. it's not glamorous at all. 
But it's still fun. Right. But you're having a good right. time. But I feel like some people may want to get into, oh, I want to be into filmmaking. And they're not really passionate about it. They just think it's something right. they see and they say, okay, I want to get into this. And then they're not right. willing to put in all the one man's, you know, producer work to do something to earn I, that. Absolutely. Because you know? when you're on set, a lot of times you're in, in filmmaking, you're on set 15 hours. Yeah. But if you're directing, you have to after, when when everything is done, you got to go watch everything that was recorded. Yeah, and that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> it's yeah, not, it's not a two-hour feature film. No, 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 no. Um, but like I, like I said, I, I've done jobs in construction. I, I was a project manager, which project management is a big part of filmmaking, of course. Customer service is important because if you can't deal with people mm -hmm. in a kind way, in filmmaking, no one wants to deal with a jerk. No, no one wants to deal with an a hole. Right, you know but I, mean? I feel like that that's that's you know people have gotten that mentality about people that do film that yes. they're hard to deal with, so they don't want to work with them. You know? And that, and then that's why you have people that don't do as well. I exactly. mean, some of them do well, yeah. and they, they blow up real big, and then so do their egos, and, yeah. and then uh, then you start seeing a backlash from the from the fans. Yeah. And then if you're getting a backlash from the fans on a film that you did with someone who has an inflated ego, that yeah. it's all about them, yeah. eventually that's going to run out. For well, you're them. doing the everything for the, for the viewer, right. and if you lose sight of that, then what the heck, you know, what, what's the point? Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy, uh, guy who did Superman. Um, actor, producer, the actor. The most recent one. The most recent one. Oh man, I'm drawing a blank right now. But he was also in the new series, The Witcher. The Witcher. Everyone's yes, talking yes, about yes. on Netflix. Right. And so, in, in an interview for The Witcher, he was he was asked about toxic fans, yeah. toxic, toxic fandoms, and how there's, you know, fans. Uh, Henry Cavill, yes. Got you, got you. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> I was going to bring you in this. Um, he was asked about toxic fandom, and his answer was brilliant. He said, I understand what you're saying, but it's a fan's right to not like something. Yeah, of course. It's They're, they're spending their time watching this. Yeah, they purchased it, streamed it. Somehow they're paying for if, it, their time and their money. If someone pays for a ticket yeah. or buys the movie, it's their right. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, heard, I heard this once from an artist, and it, it, really, it really changed my view on my art. You know, and I've done painting, and I've done uh, drawing and stuff. I, I grew up uh, as an artist and doing... You know, thought I was going to be a big artist. And then I realized that artists usually don't get famous until they die. Um, that didn't really work for me. Um, but an artist, I heard an artist say once, when you finish a painting or an image and you put it out there for the rest of the world to see, it is no longer yours. It is theirs. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, that really changed how... I view my artwork, and when you, and that's, and that's what's great about films. The most exciting part for films for me is the fan theories. Yeah, because that's when you create a cult following. Yeah, <laughs> when you can get someone to talk about your film long after they've watched the movie, you know you have a successful. Yeah, movie. And, then, and then may 
possibly turn into a sequel. Absolutely. And then I think now that the, the scale of the having the internet and social media and all those things and so many people get into, um, you know, talking about, okay, well, we think this is going to happen and this it could change right. the plot from the... Right, you know, it, it could literally absolutely. the fans could drive a plot change in a film now where they couldn't have before because absolutely. they're getting feedback at scale where they never were like you know fifty years ago or thirty years ago whatever when they right. produce a film they don't know if it's going to be great or not you know or they it may take them two or three years to realize it sucked whereas now right. within a few days they're going to know okay this is great we can start planning the next attack yeah exactly and and you have some situations where you have. Uh, directors that are asked by fans, hey, this is a fan theory. Is this accurate or not? Yeah. And the director will sometimes come out and say, you know what? That's actually better than what I had. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. That's exactly what I meant. Right. You know, it, yeah, of course. And so fan theory Because it's all about them anyways. Right. The fan theory drives the industry. Yeah. It really does. It, it, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's not the only thing, but your fans, you don't have fans, you don't have customers, you don't have a product. Yeah. And and uh, and that's that's what I learned from uh, twenty years in customer service is when you shame your fan base, which you know twenty nineteen was probably one of the worst times that we have seen that with all these giant budget films flopping, yeah, like crazy, yeah, you know, like Terminator. Uh, I'll still yet to see that one. I I probably won't. Um, you know, you're you know shaming your fan base, and again, toxic fandom and all this, and um, you know, uh, underwater. I think just uh, cost sixty eight million to make plus uh, marketing on top of that, and it's opening weekend. It made eight million. That's insane. Um, and I think whereas that you was had still, like the Joker, which set records, right? Yeah, it reached a billion dollars as the highest grossing rated R film like of all time, I believe. Yeah, and it didn't show in in China because they don't show rated R films in China. Okay. Whereas Disney, that's where Disney makes all their money. Yeah, is they make all their money? Yeah, because they're all in, right. in China. Yeah, because right. they're all they got the PG thirteen. Not yeah. what the one rated R film they have is Deadpool. Right. Yeah. You know, but you have a domestic film that the critics despised and was trying to make it seem like this is going to create incel violence everywhere, <laughs> and you know, because it's not woke. Right. It, it's 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 it has nothing to do with identity politics. It has to do with a real a real problem. Yeah. With mental. Dis- yeah, and mental I, for awareness, I feel like a lot of people probably, you know, it was a breath of fresh air because people were aware about it at first and then whenever it released, like, okay, this exists, you need to pay attention to it. Don't write it off or make it seem like we shouldn't produce it because it seems so vulgar and, you know, right. You know, bad, but at the same time, it's real life. It's, it is. People it, deal with it every day. It's, they took the most iconic film villain. Yeah. The Joker. And they made it real. They yeah. made they, they they gave you his they gave how him he, a backstory. Yeah, because before that he just played off of Batman, right? And you know, and it was just he, a villain. And that's, you didn't and that's know, what made you know, him right. so so scary. Really, is because you didn't you don't know who he was. Mm-hmm. You didn't know where he came from. Right. You don't know how he became the way he did. So now that we put a history, now we appreciate him. Right. And yeah. this wasn't really supposed to. I don't I don't think this was really supposed to be a sequel. Or it meant for a sequel. I right. think it was supposed to be a one-off. It's yeah, 
but it's it is blown up well, so they're, big. They're, they're again, looking. there again, yeah. you get you're reaching people at scale now, and they're like, okay, we love it. It blew up. Let's do it again. Right, and changes the whole perspective. When yeah. they weren't even planning on doing that, probably. Right. Yeah, and then you have people like Jared Leto, who's trying to shut the production down. Yeah. Because Jared Leto was promised, supposedly promised a a standalone film for the Joker. Right. And, you know, with all of his antics on set of uh, Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. you know, all the little weird gifts and stuff that he was uh, giving to everyone, um, <laughs> you know... People don't want to work with someone like that, right? And then now, and then now he's over. He swapped over to Marvel, and we have Morbius coming Morbius, out. Morbius, so, yeah. yeah. So, and that's a that's going to be an interesting one. I, I, but see, Marvel, they they have mastered marketing. Yeah, they have mastered marketing and, and anticipation, and, and they have endless supply of content. Right? Because there's there's what two hundred more characters they can you know put in films. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah they there's. And they were smart how they took a lot of these lesser known or lesser popular characters. Yeah. Um, like Iron Man was always pretty cool, but he wasn't one of the main. No, he wasn't. Popular you didn't characters. think he was going to be the most popular Avenger, right? You know, and you would think to, you would have been. Yeah. And to take take someone like Robert Downey Jr., which you know he was most famous for his drug antics yeah. and his you know getting in trouble yeah. always he was every time I saw him in the news he was getting arrested again and stuff and for him to come make a comeback and, and, and be an icon, an icon for kids yes. now yeah. kids are looking at him as a hero right. whenever he was the shit show right. you know 5 years ago yeah, yeah. absolutely so yeah. that just means whoever you are, you can fix whatever's going on. You know, right. if exactly. that can happen, anything can happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, and I think you know we have John Favreau to to thank for that. And what I love about John Favreau is he uh, he's about the story. Yeah, he he's he's all about the story. Oh yeah, we got we got a story about John Favreau, <laughs> don't we? Uh, anyway, um, you know. And that's why um, I believe Disney put him in charge of the Mandalorian, which you need to see. Yeah, I still got to watch that. I, uh, I'm not a I'm not a Star Wars person, but I hear that this is something I got to watch, so I will check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you have uh, um, you have Gina Carano, you have Bill Burr, you have um, Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I believe that's his name. In it. Yeah. Um, Apollo Creed, yeah, the original Apollo. The original yeah. Apollo. Yeah, I mean, Creed. so all these yeah, things are make it. Yeah, so I'm definitely and, gonna check and, it out. And for crying out loud, you have Baby Yoda. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's like a that's that has taken over. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, it's 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 great. But the best part about it is, you know, John Favreau stays true to the story and true to the feel. Yeah, you know, true to George Lucas's original vision of samurai gunslinger you know western feel you yeah know, what made star wars so incredible it it was made to feel like and a a place in space that has been lived in yeah for a long time it wasn't this bright new shiny yeah thing. it wasn't so people could relate to it easier people yeah. can relate yeah. it was it was, It looked like some place because it did come out be. yeah and it come out in what late 70s 77 and yeah. that was just, yeah I mean just being space and, and you know people didn't understand and 
So and, they, they took a little bit. It almost wasn't and, made. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah it, they, they almost, the, the studio uh, tried to shut it down uh, because it was it went way over budget. Okay. And oh, well, that's it, and, understandable. Yeah, and he and George Lucas was extremely stressed out uh, through the whole process, like never smiling. Never, he was just, I mean, this is his baby. Yeah. You know, and this is, you know, he did one, uh, a couple films before that one, uh, you know, straight out, you know, in, uh, straight out of uh, film school. But then he comes out with Star Wars. He doesn't like studios, mm-hmm. but he, you, you got to play the game sometimes. Yeah. And he did. And what made him rich was the the uh, merchandising, which no one had ever really done before. With the film. Right. You know, toys and shirts and stuff. And the toy company that signed on didn't even think anything was going to... They, they're like, this is never going to make a bit. Yeah. And then when Star Wars came out, and it came Christmas time, there were no toys. All they gave... And, and there was this backlash from all the fans, from all these parents who were wanting to give their kids these Star Wars figures yeah. and they're not available. Yeah. And so they gave these little box cardboard cutouts that were printed like on like, like, That's crazy. You will get these. You know, buy these now when we're done making them we'll ship them That's to insane. you. That's insane. And that was... And that, did, were, they, were they okay with that or there was a lot of oh, blowback? Oh no, there, there, was, all, there was a lot of blowback. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't even know that story. Well, it's kind of like how they still don't really have any toys or merchandise with Baby Yoda. Here we are, what, we're know, several like, months yeah. after, like three months after uh, Disney Plus started. Yeah. And, and Baby Yoda has a million memes online. I know. <laughs> and, you know, they're not going to have any merchandise ready until, I think, May that's crazy. this year. Well, that's just their choice, I mean, obviously, because, I mean, it, yeah. it's not hard to turn something over really quick. No. Now, you know, in 78 or whatever year it was. Yeah, 77, it was, yeah. 77, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean... You live and learn. But, I mean, you know, George Lucas, I mean, he, he created a world that, and his, the effects that they used, the, the visual effects, the sound effects, um, were genius. And to put it on top of that, he took these visual and sound effects professionals and he created his own company. Industrial Light and Magic and Skywalker Sound. Okay. And if you look in the credit sequence of any film almost nowadays that have some kind of visual and sound effects, you know, that's effects heavy, you're going to see Industrial Light and Magic, you're going to see uh, Skywalker Sound. I had no idea. Yeah. That, so that's a whole other That's a whole there. other thing. That's and, crazy. You know, he has, uh, and he bought a ranch. And that's where he based uh, ILM and Skywalker Sound at. Um, I looked it up. It was pretty cool. They have a bed and breakfast. You know, they ha- he has an Akira Kurosawa room. That's crazy. With memorabilia <laughs> from Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. And, you know, they got, like, Skywalker wine and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, these are guys that inspired me. You know, Steven Spielberg is one of my biggest... Uh, influences. Yeah, I mean, I like um, a lot of his films. I can definitely agree there. Yeah. Um, Goonies is one of my favorite films growing up. 
Um, I don't know if we'll ever see Goonies 2. <laughs> I don't know if we ever need to. There's yeah. some films you yeah. just don't you mess just don't with. don't need it. Like, you don't mess with Back to the Future. Yeah. You don't mess yeah, with I don't that. think you can recreate that. Um, you, you, you don't, you know, I, the uh, Blade Runner sequel was, was okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know if you realize this, uh, Blade Runner was set uh, in November of 2019. No, I did not know that. Okay. That's insane. That they, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unrealistic. You know, yeah. people were, yeah, they thought we'd have flying cars by now, which we're not far for it, I don't think, but definitely electric cars. We you know? have flying cars. But right, but mass-produced mass, mass produced flying cars. Well, well yeah, but we, we don't have, we don't have um, these, the street. Uh, in the sky. With the, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in fact, you know, we're, where I work with uh, uh, the transit company, um, they're actually talking about automatic buses. Oh, I, I, yeah, like yeah, Thomas. And yeah, we're we're actually discussing the future of I flying can see that. cars yeah. as taxis. Yeah. I mean, this is this is not just science fiction anymore. No. This is this is like really something that we're actually mm-hmm. looking at. And to do those kind of things, we have to have the infrastructure, yeah. which it takes organizations like the one I work for to be able to to do something like that. Yeah. So that may not be too far fetched. No, I don't think the, it is at all. Too far in the in the in the near future. So yeah. that's that's pretty exciting. And then I dreamed of stuff like that when I was a kid. Well I mean yeah because you saw it on a film you was like there's no way this would ever happen and now look you're about right. to see it while you're alive. Right. And you know and to go back to some of the classic literature like if you uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote Tarzan. Okay. Yeah, you know, most everyone is familiar yeah. with Tarzan. Everyone knows who Tarzan is. Yeah. Um, you know the uh, Disney movie John Carter. Yeah, that's a great film. I like right. it. Right. For so Disney, was, I'm not a real big Disney fan unless it's Marvel or that movie. I mean, I don't. Know. Right. Well, John Carter uh, was in a book. He was the main character in a book series uh, called the the Mars series. Okay. Um, Princess of Mars. Um, uh, the, that was the first one. And so basically, it was set back in the Civil War time. Yeah. And he basically gets transported to Mars, and because the gravity on Mars is less than Earth, yeah. he's like a superhero. So exactly. he was like the first superhero yeah. really ever written about. That's yeah. Other than like, you know, Samson and, and stuff like that. But uh, he is the first fictional superhero ever written about. Mm-hmm. And. Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote, I believe that he published Princess of Mars in 1907, but he was writing about... That's crazy, okay. He was writing about uh, solar-powered flight what? in 1907. Uh, he was writing about wireless communications, faxing wireless communications, faxing, you know, sending pictures yeah, and you had, from one ship to another In 1907, what did you have? A wire? Or um, the... Um, Tele- the te- telegraph. Telegraph. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so and this the science that he thought of mm-hmm. at the turn of last century yeah. was remarkable. And now, I mean, I mean, we faced. I mean, I remember when I was a kid thinking, "Man, it'd be cool to do like the the little uh, 
little wireless Star Trek communicator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and now you can get the can little yeah. the Star Trek Next Generation where you pin it onto your shirt and it's a Bluetooth. Yeah. I mean, they have that in real I life. I mean, we now. have everything. It's crazy at what, how it's evolved just in the past 20 years, not to mention, you know, the past 100, you know. Right. But um, to, to wrap up, because we're, we're about done with time, man, I just... Uh, it's really great to meet you today. Um, this is the yeah. first time we've done a remote podcast. I want to keep doing these in addition to my first else. podcast. Well, so. congratulations. Thank I hope you, you enjoyed you it. Me in. Yeah, no, I did. I really, I really I hope someone listens to this and likes it, man. But yeah. uh, I really think that, uh, I mean, I was very well educated today on stuff I didn't know about, you know. Well, and uh, there's a whole there's a whole realm of people that really are into film and enjoy film and want to hear these types of things. And I'm just hoping that just they're able to get out there episode. and do it. That's really all you yeah. got to do. Just get out there and do it. Um, you don't have to have film school uh, like I did. I I benefited a lot from film school and a lot of the connections that I made. But really, all you got to do, get a camera. It doesn't have to be an incredible camera. And get out there make mistakes. Yeah. And not be afraid to make mistakes. Yeah. And learn from mistakes. Everyone thinks it has to be perfect. You have to mess up a lot of times before anything's perfect. Right. I've been, I, uh, been working for Orlando Film, uh, Orlando International Film Festival as a screener and juror. Uh, it's first time ever doing that. And a lot of those films, a lot of those films, you know, are, are people who are like me that are very early into it. Yeah. And so it helps to sit there and inspect films, learn from other people's mistakes, and that's really all you got to do. Yeah. You want to go out and make mistakes and learn from them. So yeah. that's it. Well, awesome. I, mean, I appreciate the opportunity to to come on your channel. Heck yeah, man. And, uh, and uh, be a part of this. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. And everyone, please subscribe to the podcast.